ever to like marry those core mechanics of agility and ghost runner that i'm really digging marry that with the puzzles because right now like the they are like sharing kids on separate weekends hardcore hello and welcome to deep in the d-pad where we explore all things video games from an intellectual lens I'm one of your hosts, R.K. Taylor, and with me is... Your friendly neighborhood designer, Carlos. And today, Carlos is going to give us an insider perspective on crunch. Indeed. As many of you know, crunch is a period where developers are obliged to work long hours in order to meet a deadline. But what is really in the sauce of the crunch? But first, let us begin with our D-pad delights. Carlos, do you have a D-pad delight for us today? Yeah, I have a D-pad delight brought to us by Xbox Game Pass for PC. It's on a title called The Gardens Between. This is a puzzle game starring two friends, and you're sort of playing through these, like, uh, fantastical lands. It's almost like you're controlling a movie. Like, you can move left and move right, and that sort of progresses the timeline of this, like, grand animation of these characters going through a level but then you need to like affect little things in the environment anyway one one thing that like made me go like oh this is amazing like that really delighted me was uh, a computer puzzle towards the end of the game while you're scrubbing along through the level you get to a point where your characters are almost playing hopscotch across like a keyboard I, I found that to be really funny and I was like I was sort of reversing I was like going back and forth to make them like bounce on things over and over and I thought it was cute and uh, when you get later in the level you actually realize that uh, those button presses well when you provide power to the computer Wait, hold on hold on really quick I just want our like anybody who's listening to this who hasn't played this like be aware that that these is this is going to involve spoilers and my response is definitely going to involve the like final scene of the game so you may want to fast forward uh, to the like deeper into the d-pad segment if you don't want to hear some serious spoilers, but I know where you're going with this. Like you're going to talk about like the code, like it reveals a code when you're like stepping on the keyboard, right? Yeah, I love yeah. that puzzle. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. And uh, and in the future, we will try to keep spoilers to a minimum on the D-pad delights. But yeah, this puzzle was just so good, and and this game was very good too. Um, but when you uh, when you are reversing time and forwarding time, like making the characters press these different buttons in a certain sequence. Uh, in order to like activate different functions of the map was just like so such a fun revelation, such a delightful revelation, if you will. And that is my D-pad delight for this week. I completely agree with you. I found that to be like really fun. I love games where like movement is linked with time. What I was gonna say about this game is that we I don't think we've talked about this game ever, but like that game made me cry in the final scene. <laughs> and for for anybody who's interested who hasn't played. Essentially, you're you're going through these like diorama like levels, uh, just as Carl's described, and you know like you're moving time as you with each step, and but you don't really know what they are, you know, and like they're they're kind of like maybe like surrealist might be the right word, and it's just it there might be like you know I think on one level there was like an SNES that was like stuck in the side of a mountain or something like that, and you know there's a slide at one point and. At the end, you realize that it's like uh, the two children that you're like playing as throughout the game are they're like neighbors, and one of them is leaving, and the the like the gardens between is like the playground between their two houses, uh, and that is like you see the objects that you saw in the levels, and it like I was so emotionally struck by that, and you don't find out until the final scene. What did you think of that? 
I thought that moment and just the like overall revelation uh, was like just really nice, like really wholesome, but just so sad too, uh, because it it definitely brought up memories of just like different times where I've had to move and like before social media, like just end up disconnecting with friends entirely and stuff like that. And um, that's where this game was coming from for sure. Like you could, I, I felt the finality of like what these two kids shared, like go away when the cars like drove off. And I think that's something that like really hits different as much as as much money as the big budget games make they tend to tell a lot of like the same archetypal stories i guess and this one kind of didn't feel like that like i don't know how many i don't know how many big budget games i've seen where it just like ends off in this sort of empire strikes back but like intentionally so like these like this must happen this is the sad ending but this is growth like these people are gonna grow and become their own individuals and like the gardens between are the memories that they'll cherish like those are the various worlds that we got to travel god that was all just so great so fucking touching yeah and it speaks to the the power of like imagistic storytelling too you know there were i don't remember there being any like lines of dialogue or anything like that uh, in the in the entire game, not a single line, no. Yeah, and and like the 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 fact that I can be that we can both be so moved and find the game so touching, just because of like the final shot, you know, it's like they captured so much, and it really just brings you back to play and imagination, and it's commenting on on that part of us that as adults, you know, we're we're go, we're drawn to this game to engage in the same kind of like pretend and experience fun and joy in in the same way that these kids are. And I, like as we've talked about, like um, the actual connection, you know, like you said before, social media moving was really hard, and like video games, you know, we live across the country from each other, but we can still play Rocket League and you know enjoy ourselves together. And yeah, I mean, that's it's a it's a privilege to be able to to be at this point in history where that is uh, like an where we can avail ourselves of of those kinds of. Um, like technologies for communication. Yeah, yeah, indeed. For all the bad we see them do in the various headlines and in our own personal experiences, like the good things of technology and social media today is that it can allow for kids like this who build these gardens between and get separated to then have their, basically the internet becomes their garden at that point, right? Because that's yes. where they get to reconnect that's where the, the when they play video games like that's a whole new like diorama set of memories they're building like imagine if you were playing through a level themed after bug snacks or call of duty warzone or fortnite that would, yeah it, it's it, i think it's that i think the new gardens between is like the internet or or just however you connect with people like maybe that's actually the gardens between is like whatever platform you use to connect and build memories I feel like there's got to be something related to Death Stranding in there. We can totally cut what I'm saying right now, but like, I don't know. There's something, there's some synapse in my brain that's saying like, this links. I got to think on that more. I'm excited to tell you about my D-pad delight. Um, so when we last talked, I think that you suggested that I play um, my friend Pedro. Mm-hmm. And I have. And it was, it's a really short game. It's only like three or four hours or something like that. I 
loved it. I yes, loved the yes. <laughs> this is a similar like for, for it's interesting because the game is like the least wholesome. Like it's very you know in contrast to to the most wholesome game that like we can th- I can think of. Uh, because your game is on like the total opposite side of the coin. Ryan, can you give like a nice like one to three sentence rundown of my friend Pedro? <laughs> okay, my my friend Pedro is a uh, like side scrolling shooter where uh, you can. Oh, gosh, it's so hard. There, it's such a unique beast. Honestly, you can dodge. You can slow down time. You can uh, um, like do things like kick enemies, uh, and they like die. They most of them die in like one hit. And like you can kick a frying pan and like shoot the frying pan, and bullets can ricochet. So there are a lot of different uh, ways of of killing enemies, and you kind of have to like just like blast through it. You know, the levels are intricately designed and there's a there's slight like puzzle elements to them occasional puzzle elements but it's mostly just like a shoot 'em up um and pedro is a banana that you are friends with which leads me to my d-pad delight so again again this is going to have a spoiler and uh like carl said we will try not to have so many spoilers but this is like about the final scene of the game Mm -hmm. so my girlfriend asked me um what the deal was with the banana because it's like this like kind of floating banana who is your friend and it's like why why is he here and i was like you know what narratively it doesn't really make sense like in the first level there are like mobsters and in the subsequent levels there are like um like hitmen or nerds. something like that yeah hitmen nerds thugs of all kind yes yes you, the, but the banana didn't really fit into the story like very well so I was like, you know what? I hadn't really thought about that. I thought it was just kind of like this absurdist touch that they threw in there. And then I was like, maybe it's a manifestation of his subconscious. Like maybe he is deranged and and like this is, you know, like what's like how it's manifesting in this like hallucination of a banana, which it still could be, I guess. But then in the I got to the I like beat the final boss and then the it was really the penultimate boss because there is like a boss after and that is Pedro. He, but you have to like destroy the banana, uh, and he gets like enormous and and whatnot. But um, <laughs> yeah. so he's no longer the small <laughs> banana who's been in your backpack the whole time. And it was just so funny to me that she was like, "So what's the deal with the banana?" And like there actually was a deal with the banana, and I just did not put two <laughs> and two together. You know that that and like I just totally fell for that surprise, and I loved it. That's that's such a funny and astute observation. <laughs> Because I think that's what everyone's going to ask at first. Like, what's the deal with the banana? And most people will just think of it like Hattie from, like, Super Mario Odyssey. But yeah, like, that game, like you said, like, it takes so many wild turns. And then right at the end, it feels like a wild last turn. But I think it could also be seen as predictable. But even so, it's a turn that I think we all want regardless. Like, if you're, yeah, like, if you're watching, like, like pacific rim or or godzilla you're like i know things are gonna fight at the end we need to get to that part (laughs) and i think that's just what this is right and like speaking of like cool absurdist parts the the whole sequence of levels where you're like have a propeller hat and you're using the dodge move to fly through the levels yeah game design wise i i love it i love this game so much because of just how like the pacing and like how much it stretches each of each of its ideas yes exactly i i could not believe how each level there was something new and it, it could be as simple as like there's a skateboard you know or like there's a, a a basketball and you can kick the basketball at someone's head and like because almost everything is like a one-hit kill mm-hmm. you know like you can th- crush someone with a barrel and it doesn't matter how fast the barrel is moving it's like it just basically has to touch them and they die and it's like 
satisfying because it's like you have to dodge well and then you have to touch each of these people and then like there are screws and when you dodge and you're spinning you unscrew something which allows you to like access a new path or something you know and it's like wow they're really finding ways to continue to build on like what seems at first like a very basic idea you know like a very simple shoot 'em up you know and then they're like you know like you said stretching each of these these the component parts and you know finding new ways to use them it's very fresh yeah and now let's get deeper into the d-pad okay so um let me tell you what i know about crunch and then you can uh tell me where i'm wrong and enlighten me is that cool sure yeah that sounds great (laughs) okay so when i think of crunch you know i think about um like ign or other like you know news like games news outlets publishing articles that are basically like these developers for the of this studio have to work x amount of hours per week and it's like always some number that's like above 40 and it's mandatory and like this is a is this a human rights violation uh, we don't know you know and it's like what should you do about like the fact that this is happening basically just read this article and like we don't have a solution because like game development is is super new and like nobody really thinks about like the like autonomy and the well-being of uh of game developers because we just need that product so badly and like we're maniacs for it and you know it's like there's something about game gaming specifically that's like so visceral and you're so connected to it that i think people have have extremely high expectations for the product and and want to be like no i know other industry i mean not to say that other people in the entertainment industry aren't working very hard but uh, we don't hear about, I don't hear about movies or TV shows or writers or anything like that having crunch. So there's something unique about the video game industry in this. And, and this seems to be like a pretty widespread problem. So just as my like initial like glaze of, of what is crunch, do you have anything that you want to talk about specifically that you think people should know about? And also, uh, have you crunched and what which games were you crunching for if you are comfortable talking about that? And go ahead. Yeah, so I'll go. I'll just start at the uh, top. <clears throat> so you said uh, that, well, this is funny because on a different episode, you actually brought up a movie that had crunch and that's Sonic the Hedgehog. So what I wanted to bring up is like, which is based lot- on a game. Exactly, right? <laughs> a lot of these uh, tech industries uh, have crunch currently. Like, if you, like, talk to somebody who works on, like, special effects, uh, they'll probably have worked crunch on, like, a movie or, like, a trailer or some sort of project. Uh, if you talk to actual, like, programmers of a website, like, they may have crunched on something. I don't personally know how much it pops up for them. I think in the movie industry, it pops up more so. Uh, And movies and games, I think, are the ones, at least in my mind, that have uh, crunch pop up quite often. I think in an earlier conversation, you said that uh, crunch came at the tail end of a project cycle uh, like towards the launch of a game and that's not necessarily true crunch can actually happen at like any point uh nightmarishly enough like if you have a bad production team or a bad management team they'll crunch you like like during pre-production or during like the first stage of production on a game before oh first stage of production being getting a like first playable like just simply making a prototype you don't want to be spending like 50 to 60 hours a week just making a prototype that that you want it to you know accomplish its goal but you don't want to be overworking yourself just to make something that is like vaguely 
reminiscent of what the final prod product is going to be like you want to actually just work a regular amount of hours and i and stuff like that yeah well, let me yeah i'm curious about that so when if for people who are crunched at the beginning of the development cycle are they also going to be crunching more like like more likely than not are they going to be crunching at the end of it as well or is it just the beginning and then they're not crunching for a few months or something like that? So that all depends on management, again, management and their own deadlines. So if if you had a studio that agreed to make like a, a big open world game in a year, they would be crunching every single second of that game's development because the timeline is just too unrealistic. If you had a team and again this is like a lot of it is scheduling and planning so if you had a team that said hey we need we need two years to make my friend pedro i believe in in my own like experience or given my own experience i believe that two years to make my friend pedro would give you more than enough time to work regular 40 hour weeks uh and still have a very nice like clean product at the end um but you could at the same time have that scenario and have a project planning team that is like we need to get everything done aggressively as soon as possible and they end up like taking this like wide two years and crunching it down to like let's get it done in one year or eight months that way we can use all that extra two-year time for like polishing and what you end up getting is a very shit core product that was made in eight months and then you're trying to polish that turd product for two years yeah 12 months okay so is it more likely to happen okay i have a, i guess i have a couple questions um and like already thank you for like clarifying some of the misunderstanding that i've had uh about crunch is it the case that um everybody on the development team will crunch usually or is it the case i understand that that like this is like dependent on on each of the developers and all of that um but you know so like broad strokes here is it is it the case that like most, uh, most like most of the time during when when a studio is crunching that every single member will crunch, uh, or is it the case that like only specific teams like it's like well we need the animators to be crunching right yeah totally uh, so I've actually gone through uh, multiple types of crunching when it comes to this like team crunching for various reasons I'm not gonna state specific projects or whatever. But uh, on one project I was crunching on, um, we had we had like maybe two to three crunch periods where the entire studio needed to stay for like X number of hours. And um, this felt good at first because uh, I, ha I, I was able to access the people that I really needed at those times where I was like getting stuff together. Uh, but then that quickly became like a sword in the side because when I didn't really have anything left to do and I was just sort of like on standby, I was getting understandably frustrated. Like, um, and, and, and so basically like when everybody on the team is being asked to, to crunch, like to spend the same exact hours, uh, people get annoyed because every individual does not have the same amount of importance at every given moment. 
Um, so like a VFX artist doesn't need to stay until eight just because like we don't have the levels fully fleshed out. Um, so what happened later in that project when we uh, got when we as the team gave feedback to the producers and upper management that like this was really annoying us and hurting our like quality of life because a lot of, so many of these people uh, are like older than me. They have multiple kids. They have wives. They have like other family situations and uh, they're just being like kept home for seemingly no reason but hey we may need you so please just hang around and it's like well i need to pick up my kid from hockey and i need to cook dinner for the family or something like that so anyway the other type the type we moved to was more of a um like rotating almost like departmental style crunch and that was like okay well you know this group of engineers like you stay a couple of hours for this week because there are people who need you and then th this group of artists like you're going to stay this week that type of thing and uh that evolved into what i think is the best method so far which was strike team uh crunching strike team being um you gather a group of developers all related to one piece of content and then you have them work together and communicate together as like a strike team to accomplish this one part of the game and that could you know for example that could be like body armor on enemies this is kind of like a micro thing like it would probably be like oh this heavy enemy with body armor that particular piece of content is going to be owned by like a combat designer a combat engineer like this sound design guy and like this vfx artist and then all all four or five of you are going to just work together on making this one guy feel really good in the game um, that's a strike team. And so uh, towards the end of uh, one of my projects, we started doing strike team crunch. And that felt great because I had the the good side of like everyone I need is available to me, even though it's kind of late. And um, and I guess sort of I well, because I'm on the design end, I most of the time I was at the tail end of the pipe. So like when when I kind when I got everything in, then it was like done and it needed to be reviewed by like the director. Um, so I would end up staying quite late. Um, and it, and because my things relied on someone else, I would have to stay as late as somebody else. So as a designer, you kind of can't escape being the uh, end of the road for for a lot of content. Right. Okay. I'm I'm like really excited with how much I'm already learning about this, and I and like I just have more questions that keep popping up. Uh, one of the one of the ones that has been on the back burner is um is is I would guess that Crunch is more likely to come from like AAA studios because there's like higher demand. Um, but is that true? Is that the case? Do indie studios indie studios have fewer people usually? So. Uh, perhaps they are more likely to crunch because they don't have the staff that they need. So what is, what's the situation? You're right on the money with that last part. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, had you had stopped any sooner, uh, indie studios, they, I don't, I don't think they're just as susceptible to crunch, but they can very easily stumble themselves into crunch or actually worse. So willingly, overwork themselves like like basically their passion will flare up too much and this has happened to me in the past with like with games or other things um but 
you like you're just like oh i absolutely love this game i'm working on me and four dudes are working on it like it's just so fun it's amazing Ooh, here's a little thing i can add and you keep doing that here's a little thing here's um, this is so fun let me spend another hour and even though you're having fun your body and your mind is still taking the brunt of that force so an indie can definitely like overwork themselves into into oblivion and i there was one game recently that is on like the tip of my tongue that I can't quite remember um, that they had mentioned like crunching on it, even though they were an indie game, it was just a couple people like they had self-imposed. Maybe it was like a, a Mark Brown video, uh, Game Maker Toolkit. Um, but yeah, basically uh, to answer your question, I think triple A's are more likely to crunch or at least we're way more likely to find out about them crunching whereas indies because they're less staffed like they definitely have to work more or at least do like a wider variety of work but they can avoid the crunching as long as they uh spec out their their game well meaning like we're only a team of six people we think we can accomplish a game of a small scope within like 12 to 18 months something like that Ra you know rather than maybe doing what a Sinua's sacrifice is where it's like let's take a kind of indie sized i don't know if it was an indie sized team per se but like let's take a smaller team and try to make this like triple a looking game i think that's something that days gone actually like went through a lot of growing pains with because it it was a small studio before days gone um like they had been working on ps vita games for a while and uh they they had the size up from like like i i think when i joined the sony ben team they were like 50 or 60 people and and by the time days gone was done which was like four years after i had joined they were at about 125 plus people um and they like we desperately needed all of those people as well as like we could have used quite a few more but um you see other games like um ubisoft games you know typically having like two to three hundred people working on it there are these massive open world games and like you know they have much bigger checklists so they have to support all that by hiring on more people but at the same time making all that content is probably going to demand like more hours so it's just this big matter of like spinning plates and uh making sure you can like estimate how long each plate is going to spin um so yeah big part of my job as i move like from like entry to mid-level to senior is more and more like under like absolutely understand like how long it's going to take for you to do this or for someone depending on what your career path is like understanding how long it takes for you to do things and for other people various disciplines to accomplish tasks it sounds like you're suggesting that crunch can be either a, a, like a formal or an informal process so like when you were saying like indie developers may just like have a lot of passion and they may be crunching um, even if they're not calling it crunching, they could still be getting like burnt out. Like in the social work field, we, we, we talk about burnout a lot, right? Like people who overextend themselves or, you know, maybe they don't turn their phone off if they're like on call, uh, you know, maybe they're checking their phone all, all the time or they get like really tough cases. Um, and you know, I, I think part of it is like setting boundaries for yourself and those kinds of things, but it sounds like crunch is almost like, you know, the closest parallel that I have to that, um, and if you have, you can have an employer who's like forcing you to work a bunch of hours, or you can just like, you know, 
voluntarily do that and like really like check in with your people like i've seen both i've experienced both like i've had pieces of content that i have worked on that are like i'll be working on it and then uh, see like a place for improvement or get uh, some sort of spark of an idea by talking with like say a combat designer or an artist somebody else on the team that's working on my content that makes me go oh let me just spend an extra like hour or two here today and see if i can actually like rough this in and make and you know see what it feels like um and that's more of the volunteer style like passion based uh i wouldn't even call it crunch right because crunch to me is not simply working extra hours but it's working extra hours for like a prolonged period of time which i probably should have <laughs> led with earlier in this show but uh simply like so for weeks yeah i would say definitely like like weeks is when you go into crunch if you're going like over 40 hours over 40 hours at all like that is a heavy work week but I I wouldn't call it crunch until you do maybe like two of those weeks back to back or like three of those weeks back to back. Certainly two, actually. I would just start it at two. So like 50 hours back to back? Yeah, exactly. 45 hours like for two weeks back to back would be like super light crunch. 50 hours would be like light crunch, that type of thing. And what's the most egregious crunch you've ever heard? I've ever heard? Uh, I've I've read about fable one on the original xbox uh having having like 60 to 80 hour work weeks put on their devs involuntarily for over eight months straight oh my gosh yeah Six, I, 60 hour minimum oh my gosh dude. 60 to 80 yeah 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 quite quite fucked i don't i don't know if i personally would have been able to survive that game because that sounds insane and uh my experience with crunch has like made me really not ever want to go through that again so, so i don't do, know do the develop just like management like say we're going to go into a period of crunch or do they say something like we're going to we we're mandating 60 hour work weeks like how formal is that term is that just like something that like is it a slang term Okay, in most of my experience, no studio has been like, yeah, we're going to we're going to crunch and everybody needs to crunch like now. Like that they don't say it like that. I mean, it happens like that, like I explained earlier in this episode, but nobody ever says it like that, which like I I which is one of my one of my various biggest pet peeves with the games industry. In my experience, like it has come up in the sense of like during a meeting somebody will say, "Hey guys, so we got like a lot of we got a lot of work and we got this deadline to meet. So these are the things like we need to accomplish. And uh, me, I feel being a kind of like s somewhat naive, like f out of college kid, like had the audacity to ask like, okay, so how many extra hours do you want us to work this week? Like during the meeting. And uh, I got a very weird look <laughs> and was I got a very weird look and the answer was like kind of a meandering like uh we're not demanding you work any like any extra hours this week but we're just asking you to like get get these like get these uh, accomplished by like the deadline and you know it's like it's like well it's very clear we don't have enough time within like the 40 hours to get this done so like what like do you want me to put in an extra two a day or or some uh, extra one a day and and basically like it rolled into the answer being like hey dude like if you can 
if you can get the work done really quick to like a good quality and, and, and you don't have to crunch, then don't crunch, even though I that wasn't fucking true. Or basically like if you want to work regular hours, go ahead and work regular hours, but your work, what you're responsible for is not going to get done at the quality bar we expect within the time frame. Therefore, you will prove to be a detriment to our team. Therefore will probably have to this is again like when i'm saying therefore and kind of rolling this on like this is the silently like it's implied in, and subtle yeah the gears working in your head as to like oh well what happens if i decide to just work regular hours right it, it's not like oh you're disobeying an order from the company it's like well if you're not working as much as everyone else in that moment then you're content is not coming up to a quality bar that like the rest of the teams and so it so basically it's like hey the schedule is like demanding all the team members do this thing and if you aren't going to adhere to the schedule then obviously you're like hurting our end package uh very very weird like shitty scenario um but I can understand from like a logistics standpoint, you can't just say like, Hey, Tommy work three extra hours, like every day this week. And your and your level is going to be like really fucking good because he could be like, watch, he could be like, he could be playing like solitaire for like 90 minutes of those three hours every day. And, and, or he could be working those full three hours and his content still doesn't get up to snuff. There are just some people out there who unfortunately like can't make the content. So you could run into that situation or rather they can make the content, but they can't get it to a high enough quality bar for that deadline. Uh, I'm not sure. What about compensation? Do most studios have a kind of like, um, like a overtime policy where it's like, is that what it's called, overtime? Any studio you work at, like business-wise, it'll just be called overtime. Internally, you can they can call it crunch or whatever they want, but it is business-wise called overtime because you are working past your 40-hour work week. And so to answer your question about the compensation when you do work beyond that 40-hour work week, in my experience, and as far as I know, only hourly employees really get that compensation. Salaried employees do not get paid extra for working longer hours. They may gain other benefits like profit sharing. Um, at a AAA level, there's profit sharing, which means uh, when a big title comes out, if you're part of the salaried core team that works on it, as long as you're still salaried and working at that studio that released the game, you will receive like these bonus checks essentially, like past the launch of the game. Like royalties. Yeah, yeah, basically like royal almost yeah, basically like royalties, which uh is really cool. So like you and the rest of the studio get like some percentage of cut off from like the overall sales of like that title so like um some of my some of my friends who still work at sony bend uh who i've spoken to recently they actually told me about um some of the so because i've never personally experienced it they have in they have like enlightened me on the profit sharing experience and like what it's like and it's totally like you just receive a check in the mail and it's like oh cool skylanders or whatever <laughs> and you get you get a couple bucks or whatever um although it, it's definitely more than a couple bucks but it's it's not like millionaire money by any means that seems like a great system it's almost like you're getting commission and if you did a great job with the game and people love the game and you know i mean you're not it's it's out of your hands to some extent like mm -hmm. how how well the game is received by 
but it's I don't know it's I like the proportionality there not to say that I'm in favor of crunch or anything but I <laughs> I do like that as a as like a method of compensation you know in a like theoretically yeah yeah me too I enjoy the like I I like the idea of profit sharing I hope I can enjoy that benefit in the future um the profit sharing like being able to have actual shares of the company i know that's a thing with like uh traded companies like activision blizzard um i think when you become salaried you get like some portion of shares and uh a lot of tech a lot of other tech places do that like i think i think maybe like google and or facebook do something to that effect but the the overall compensation for the crunch time like i don't know if it's I don't know if it's there because again, for the salaried people, like uh, you may occasionally, you may get milestone bonuses. I don't know how much those usually are. And you will get the end of the game royalties, which aren't guaranteed by any means. But if you guys break even and then continue to make profits, you will see some of those profits, which is, which is nice depending on the project. And then time, that's how I know or not, like if it makes up for it, right? Cause if you go through, if you're salaried and you go through a nightmare project where it just like, almost like physically kills you from how much like work you've done then like no amount of seemingly no amount of checks you know outside of like a couple million dollars or something is gonna really make you say like oh that was worth it yeah that totally makes sense to me and going back to like originally i was like this happens to the games industry almost exclusively and you were like no it happens in, to people in the movies industry too uh, in, in certain parts of it uh, like the effects workers and things like that. And I realized, you know, you brought up like Google and tech companies and things like that. And uh, I I also believe that they're, I don't know if they continue to have problems with crunch, but I know that they have in the past. And uh, you and I have talked about how like, you know, one like these Silicon Valley companies will have like an incredibly elaborate like office with like a slide and like all the snacks you could possibly ever want and sleep pods and like just they like a luxury workspace as a way to almost like try to lure you in and, and entice you to work here and, and to like almost be like less resentful of the fact that you're going to be spending maybe 80 hours a week there or something like that and um that so that's like an alternative form of compensation i don't know what it's like inside of a studio i'm wondering if game studios are similar since they're like tech companies or if they don't have the money for those kinds of resources is there anything about like the actual space that is enticing to you do they let you play video games on the clock you know like what like what are the other selling points that like they try to use as like bargaining chips uh yeah so it depends on uh, i guess kind of the age of the studio or the company like what you're mentioning with the slides and like uh sushi every wednesday or like candy unlimited candy machines around those are like a lot of sort of startup things um or rather maybe i, I should call them startup traps uh just a lot of like willy wonka chocolate factory slash pinocchios like like pleasure island type gotchas to to pull you in um without you realizing like these are all things to replace parts of your home within the workplace so uh we will see things um like uh we will see things like you may have a like beer fridge um th this this is kind of big in um, montreal but like having a beer fridge to enjoy like one beer in the afternoon with coworkers. uh there will be snack fridges that are like fully stocked with like either like either junk food and or health food we'll see like um i've 
I uh, during my time working on uh, Days Gone, uh, I keep bringing that up because like that the studio actually changed buildings um, because it had grown so much. So I kind of got to see the two sides of the coin, like going from a smaller to a bigger uh, thing. But basically, like on sort of the on the old Sony Ben building, we would have like we would have like two two vending machines. You know, we could put in uh, like we we could put in a little bit of money uh less than like you normally would i don't know what sony hooked up there but it was kind of like a uh, a cheaper vending machine that you could get cool snacks from and we even had one that had ice cream in it and i was like oh neat then you jump cut to you know when we're working a couple of extra hours and it's like oh well i guess i'm gonna get an ice cream sandwich <laughs> and like that feels good at the time but like a couple of weeks later you've realized you've eaten too many ice cream sandwiches and like <laughs> you hate yourself for working too much and eating too many ice cream sandwiches what about like showers and lockers and things like that like do they have like amenities that are like quality of life things that are not just like kind of like sweet treats to yeah i was actually just about to uh to jump on that so like outside of the slides and the fo- and the ball pits and the weird stuff like having like showers in the bathrooms is you having a shower room or showers in the bathroom uh is usually seen as a pro uh which I mean, it is, but it is also, you got to keep in the back of your mind, like, this is so that I can shower in case I am working too long, or basically, in case I'm work in case I'm working long enough, or in such a way that I'm getting funky around the office, which is like something like you don't want happening anyway, but they don't, it's never highlighted that way. It's always like, hey, do you enjoy working out? Like, you can go work out on your lunch break, and then just come here, shower, dress, boom, you're like back to work, you got your workout, you feel great. Um, and so I think with like a lot of this stuff, uh, you can just look at it either with like an optimistic or a cynical eye. So like outside, outside of the, the shower room, like I mentioned with working out, they could even have the workout place on site. Like right. the, <laughs> yeah, like the, the studio I'm at currently, uh, we have, and this is not to say that they have all these things cause they're crunching us and stuff. Like this is just what they have. And I enjoy these, uh, features of the studio, but they have, um, they have like a, a little weight room. We have uh, showers. We have a full, like a full, like uh, snack pantry, like, like literally like going to your friend's house, the one who has the fucking walk-in snack pantry. That's what we have at my studio. And you know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so so yeah all of that and and we even have a like we even have a kitchen that like has a has like like we have a kitchen that we can use like full like uh i think there's like a hot plate or something so like you can cook a little little something there if you need to all, like, all free right all of this is all like free to- all free okay. all free because you work there uh there's even like they even stock the fridge with like milk or but like the things you could add on to your bagels wow. or your cereal and stuff um and obviously coffee's available all anyway all this shit all this shit is there for you what about a to... place to sleep is there a place to sleep no no I, okay so ca- caveat on that i say no there is no dedicated sleep room in my experience that i have like witnessed at any studio there is no dedicated this room is like where you should sleep or this is where you should sleep uh there are some studios that will have furniture around its floors and these at times may be used for sleep but again these are more oftentimes meeting rooms that happen to have a couch in it like not an actual like sleeping room i think like crunch is uh a little less common than it was before and 
I think, you know, year after year with all these articles we see coming out, uh, we have more and more uh, movement behind making crunch as infrequent as possible uh, because like on the business side of things, like um, I would say like maybe smarter and or like fresher business folk are like, hey, I don't want to destroy my workforce because I need them to help make me money. So if your workforce is a group of game developers, you don't necessarily want to be burning them out and then spending more money hiring new guys and wasting time trying to train those guys to get them to the same level that your previous guys were before you burnt them out. Have you known anybody who's left the game industry because like they couldn't take the work conditions? Not because they couldn't take the work conditions. They definitely could take the work conditions. They did take the work conditions. And I don't know if they decided to come back. I just know... They haven't worked on games since they have left, but uh, like the work they were doing, just what it, it wasn't satisfying. On top of having to spend so much time working, um, on top of that particular individual, on top of having to spend so much extra time working, what they were working on stuff that they didn't even really care about. Like it was kind of it was kind of like the the shit that nobody else wanted to do unfortunately now i know they work on things maybe i don't not necessarily like getting paid wise but at least in their spare time they're working on shit that they really love and i'm so happy they're doing that yeah it reminds me of like one of the previous episodes you were talking about like there's someone who spent like weeks or months uh creating the testicles on a horse in red dead that like <laughs> so that they shrink when they get cold and stuff and it's like who became a game developer so that they could work on the horse balls like just, <laughs> uh. i don't think i brought this up when i was talking about the hourly work but hourly workers are contractual you don't typically you don't have people who are like actually like directly part of the studio on an hourly hourly pay rate there we go yes in recent years, I've seen kind of like a, a sort of weird hybrid where it's like, hey, you are actually like under this under the umbrella of the first party studio, but you're still being paid hourly. Um, so you're kind of like in this sort of gray area in between uh, contractual workers are typically like, hey, we're going to try you out. Uh, for six months or nine months whatever and if you adapt to the team then we'll either extend your contract we'll put you into this like more connected contract or uh, we'll like make you salaried and uh, I think in both the contract area and the gray area actually probably with all areas you could just be fired at any point I think I'm pretty sure there's just always like written terminology in in these contracts for at least my profession that's like hey if we want to fire you at any point we totally can and uh anything you have thought about and put to actual like like put into the universe while you were like with us is like under our control yeah this is okay so i i in a moment i want to turn to like kind of the moral ramifications or perhaps maybe your moral intuitions on crunch and uh if there was going to be like kind of like a reform movement that you could start or if you could just like snap your fingers and change things um i would like to hear your thoughts about those but first i'm i want to hear a little bit more about like why crunch happens so i'm wondering if it's because of like understaffing or if uh like is is it like just quite common for management to not have an accurate um a prediction for how long 
it's going to take and like what the resources are going to be. And then suddenly you're like swept away. And obviously there are pressures about like, you know, if, if you state the release date of a game and then you realize that you're not making that, like, you know, if things are taking longer than expected, then you may, you know, want to stay true to that because you don't want fans to be upset with you. Crunch happens because at least on the planning board, it appears that a deadline won't be able to be met. Meaning let's say like alpha is your sort of vertical slice first playable. If you have, if your planning team says, Hey, we're going to take two months to make our first playable here. We're going to give a week to everything. Uh, go ahead and like work. That could be totally fine and not be like a crunch process. Then out of nowhere, like somebody like gets sick or breaks their leg or basically somebody can't work for a week. And now that offsets the plan. And then that makes the deadline like now start to like slip away. That's one way crunch can happen. The other way, which I mentioned earlier in the episode, is that uh, the planning can basically uh, miscalculate how much time it takes to do various tasks. And thus it will make people be working harder and or faster to accomplish these things. Or more actually, not even harder and faster, but actually just working more hours in order to accomplish uh, their goal. Besides the product scheduling and the like deadline slipping thing, um, feature creep is something that could trigger crunch. Feature creep is when you're basically just keep on adding in like, oh, and this thing, oh, and this thing to your game, um, which bloats the project incredibly. Like, any individual feature is going to have exponential amounts of work to make sure that feature is like up to par with everything else in the game. You can't just say like, Hey, let's add a punch because what you're saying is, Hey, let's add in a punch animation, a punch sound effect, a like punch VFX. We need the AI to be able to punch and like recognize when punch is happening and on and on and on. Um, so so yeah, like that, I would say those are like kind of the three big ways crunch can happen. If you're just trying to get like a, a quick knowledge tidbit, it would be those three ways. Feature creep is a great term. Uh, I really like that um, concept. So turning to the uh, moral weight of, of crunch, I imagine that that we'll have some similar intuitions about about the moral weight of crunch. It just seems like wrong. You know, it seems wrong that uh, people who are trying like people get into the video game industry because they're passionate about video games and then the thing that they're passionate about it kind of gets run into the ground and they're f like not necessarily forced but you know there's there it seems coercive you know it seems like there's the fact that someone could lose their job at any moment is you know not quite a threat but it's you know i think for most people with their jobs they know that they have to work the what they agreed to at the beginning so as for if you're working a full-time job you work 40 hours a week you do what you need to do uh and the, there are no conditions where that are going to like radically change your 40-hour work week so it's un i think this field is uncommon in that there's kind of like variability in how many hours it requires its employees to work and it feels coercive to me like i know that if i went to work for 20 hours a week instead of 40 
I could get fired, but it's because I agreed to 40 when I signed the contract. But because it's flexible for you, for like folks in your position, right? Like it seems like they have like a lot of leverage there that they really shouldn't have. And, you know, I mean, we could get into like the whole like Marxist like idea here. You know, if you want to, where do you want to go with this? What are your thoughts? Right. So the, I guess for our listeners, just really quick, the reason we bring up the Marxist thing is uh, the idea that like the dev, the, the developers of the game are the workers and like the, the bourge the bourgeoisie or whatever like the the mm-hmm. rich people are the ones who are like at the top like making these these plans um so if we kind of bring it into more like recent events the proletariat the developers would be the cd project red the people who put together cyber cyberpunk 2077 um whereas like their their bosses the the board and whoever else like set these schedules would be the board the bourgeois Right, like the CEO, like right, like the CEO who's going to be like raking in the profits of this game. You know, the what, I'm, I'm sorry, what were the royal the thing that I was calling royalties? What did you call those for that the developers get like a cut? Oh, uh, uh, profit sharing checks. Pro- profit sharing. They like that must be for the individual workers. That must be a fraction of a fraction of a percent. Like oh, I absolutely. cannot imagine how a- small that is. Absolutely. If who, if any yeah. of our listeners look up. Bobby Kotick like they will see just how little that they can get an idea if you look up Bobby Kotick and like various articles about him you can get just a vague but really good idea as to how much more money the the CEOs get for like all the work that hundreds upon hundreds of people do for hundreds of thousands of hours just on one game yeah and the other the other aspect that's like like the other marxist lens that i that i could apply to this is uh like marxist alienation i don't know if we've talked about this before on the show but this concept's new to me it sounds new it sounds new to me yes yeah so it's like the idea that um like workers are divorced from the products that they're creating right so again people who go into this industry are going into it because they have they believe that they can have a creative contribution in the video game field, but someone's going to be working on the horse testicles. You know, someone is going to be like designing the darts mini game, and you know when they may want to be working on the shooting or the you know driving or something else. And not everybody can do the things that are that you know. It's not like the interests that the developers have are going to be distributed across every single task. Someone is going to get stuck doing the things that nobody else wants to do because it's not boring or not challenging. And then you're not only are you forced to work these out like long hours, but you're also divorced from the product, meaning like you're, you don't you don't have a sense of um, purpose doing it. It doesn't feel valuable to you to do this, even though you know that it needs to get done. Just as like if someone is like in a factory and they're making, you know, like let's say they're making shoes in a factory. I don't even know if that's possible. Um, I have no idea how shoes are made, <laughs> but let's say they're pressing a button, right? If you know, even even if they are really passionate about shoes, the factory work is probably not a fulfilling way of going about. Um, experiencing or like like finding that fulfillment you know they perhaps they want to be designing shoes or doing something that involves creativity or you know working with like you know like testing whether or not they feel comfortable or something like that there are other ways to uh like maximize the the appreciation so you know there there is this there's always going to be this problem when you have hundreds of people on a team some people are not going to be able to do the job that they want and most people are not going to be able to have the say that they want because yeah you're beholden to especially if it's like a franchise or something like that you're beholden to 
the ideas of whoever's in charge and and so you're kind of you become these like worker bees yeah yeah and uh it doesn't happen all too often it absolutely does happen like you said like somebody gets stuck working on the content that or the functionality that nobody else wants to work on but a bigger piece too is that especially in a larger game you are so clearly a cog in a bigger machine and it's definitely made clear at various points that uh, I, I well with the games industry I think it's kind of been sort of instilled at some sort of like societal level that like you know that anyone working in that industry should feel super lucky and appreciative that they're in that industry uh, because there are so many new people that could just as easily replace them um, and that lends itself to the cog in the machine feeling and if you're working on a big like 300 hour game like assassin's creed but you personally are only working on like 15 missions in a game that has like 300 missions like how how much how much pride can you take in that game how much pride can you take in your own work like me personally i can take I can take pride in in the contributions I have made, like making full full length missions, x number of missions for like a big game. I can take pride in those in those contributions, but like how much can I say that the that the game itself is actually like my game? I guess right. It's like if you're working on Henry Ford's uh, assembly line, and like you are putting like a nut on a tire for in the Model T. I don't know if they had nuts on the t- on tires back then, or like w- what that situation was. But you didn't build the car. You know, you just put a lot of nuts on a hundred cars, and like that may bu- create cars like way more quickly. But it's harder to value your contribution because you're kind of this like anonymous like hive worker. You know, I mean, it's just like a, a bunch of people doing this thing and like there were other nuts that need to get put on you're you might be jealous of someone who got to put on the mirror or you know the windshield or whatever like that's kind of like the best uh analogy for modern AAA development i feel assembly line is just that that assemb- yeah that model t assembly line not saying like all AAA games are exactly the same but in terms of like how they're made they have certainly like boiled it down to a science which i think is good like we want to know how to make games like well but we want to take that framework and improve upon it and i guess that framework right now is just a little too much like that assembly line right so so you know like i guess like the next part of the moral question would be you know how do we respect the rights of workers right how do we and and we found ways to do that in other aspect other places where workers were were marginalized like unions for example do you have any like ideas about about this or like any hopes for for the future of of the like developer industry ways that that like either crunch could be enacted more morally or i mean ideally i think the planning would just be better and we could like obviate the need to to crunch in the first place but that also seems almost utopian in a way because clearly nobody wants to crunch and it's like but it's still so so common so what are your thoughts on on like how to make it either more moral or to prevent it from you know preclude the need of crunching yeah so yeah i agree that no crunch is certainly a utopian idea that being said i don't think it's impossible uh I think it was like, I think I had 
seen earlier, maybe on a Jim Sterling video, that like Hades actually like didn't have any crunch um, because they had used early access and continued working regular hours while staying in touch with their community and obviously making a good product, which led to them making a fuckload of money <laughs> because they made a good product, they did their work. Um, but getting back to your question, are there ways that studios can enact crunch in a moral manner? Let's let's take crunch and something I probably could have touched on way earlier is that like the the various lengths of crunch create different crunches themselves. Um, so like we so like I stated earlier, like crunch will be defined as like at least two weeks of like longer work hours, right? Um, but really that could really like a two week longer work hour thing is just a sprint. Whereas doing that for a month is like actual where, whereas doing that for a month is like crunching, crunching, doing that for longer than a month is certainly like crunch. And then the worst point is when you hit the death March, which is either we are going to crunch from now until the game launches, or we are going to crunch from now until somebody says we don't need the crunch which is which is probably scarier than the first option yeah it also reminds me of the the strike team thing that you were talking you were talking about like there are different ways like it could be the entire studio it could be you know like specific people like etc and and like really just like i guess the developers having a uh or like the the management having a an idea of who uh is most necessary rather than having just kind of like a blanket mandate seems like it would be more considerate as well exactly yeah uh, i would say the most the most moral or the the best the most preferred crunch that i was a part of was the strike team crunch because again i had access to everyone i needed uh those people needed access to me so they got it because we were available together let's say half the time we didn't necessarily need to stay super super late um but also it also because not everybody else was at the studio like glaring at each other for having to be there it it softened a little bit the feeling of like oh other people are still here like i should still be around like that feeling was still there for sure because if if you see anyone at work when you're going to leave at least if you're kind of like me uh in my field you're gonna feel like oh maybe i could be doing some part to help so that they don't have to be here longer um, but that's simply not the case like some people just need to work on their stuff um, so the most moral version would be that strike team uh, thing and basically trying to have that as like short term as possible. Um, I have I've been a part of more strike team concerted like efforts of like, hey, OK, we really don't want to do crunch. Like, so, so the planning team will say we're just going to work for this two weeks. It's going to be a sprint. You guys are gonna like you guys are not to work beyond 50 hours like we are only allowing you to work up to that much get your shit done within that time and you know see how it goes from there so far i think that's the best way to do things if you can't avoid crunch entirely yeah and one thing i wanted to touch on with unions um because this is something i haven't talked a lot about uh but it's an it's an idea that I, as, w as well as a lot of developers, uh, have been thinking on. And the the kind of takes I've seen in regards to unions and, and uh, crunch time is like people saying unions will 
be able to completely like get rid of crunch time. But then the opposite side of the coin being, well, if we completely get rid of crunch time and do indeed like hit a point where like Murphy's Law kicked in and we can't hit our deadline, even though we're all working the appropriate amount of time and doing the right amount of work, like what happens? Again, like going to your example of when you announce your release date, that's when things get start to get really tense because you now have committed to like the world that like something's going to be there on this day and it needs to be done long before that day for it to actually like get pressed to disc and be there. So unionization, I think, would be an overall good. And there's just a lot of, much like I think industries in the past, there's a lot of like talk on both sides, obviously, to make cases, but also that insidious like propaganda aspect that <laughs> that's like trying to you know, keep unions apart. And so what is hard for developers, I guess, is to have like, I maybe both for developers and the business side of things is to have like that holistic view of, of the situation. Because I think from the, from the actual, like in the trenches, like software content creators, like, like they would feel most strongly, like, yeah, absolutely. Like let's lock it in at like this number of hours Whereas the people at the top are thinking, you know, but we have like legally made these agreements and we need to like hit these points. Let's say they're like the best business person and like they don't want to crunch their people, but they're still saying like, hey, we we have a deadline we have to agree to. So we need to create some sort of like safety net or understood action that we can take if we are not able to hit that timetable. Like if 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 all of the world decided, hey, video games should be made with only 40 hour work weeks. And then we got to a point where cyberpunk was like, Hey, we can't hit this. Like it just like, we just weren't able to make the technological breakthroughs as fast. Like we're going to need, we're going to need extra time. Like, and we don't want to give you guys a bad product. This is what our union says. We are allowed an extension of like X amount of time. And then like the game has to come out or something. I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of like theory crafting like things now, but that's it. That's sort of what I'm, that's, those are the takes I've seen. And that's kind of like what I'm imagining at least realistically for unions at the moment. Right. It, it almost sounds, I think it sounds like you're a little ambivalent um, about crunch uh, because you recognize its utility. Uh, um, and so you don't want to just like strike crunch completely. Uh, you you recognize that there are times where it might be necessary, and if it was done in a way that was conscious of the developers and things like that, like it's not like you're like crunch never. You're like crunch. Yeah, I mean, I get why it has to happen. There are deals being made. There's a lot of money going on over here. And crunch as like last case scenario is really is really what I'm advocating for. Is like last last case scenario we should be crunching like other other otherwise it should all go according to plan and crunching should not be long like we say we've said crunch so many times in this episode if anyone's playing a drinking game you're dead by now but like when we say crunch we're not talking about the fable like 60 hours a week for eight months like that is that is absolutely unacceptable what we are talking about is again that like short burst like two week sprint style thing okay um so so that's really like the only justification for for crunch it's like it's like it's like almost like extra credit where it's like you know like if a student like 
it has a, uh, an F in a class, and then they just do a ridiculous amount of extra credit, and they get an A. It's like... That's very much what it is. Yeah. This isn't how extra credit's supposed to work. This is just supposed to get you from, like, a B plus to an A minus or something like that, you know? Like, chill, you know? Yeah, exactly. And at times, I have felt, like, major frustration because it had seemed like I ended up in a crunch-like scenario because people had waited till, like, the last day to do their project essentially and i don't have the omnipresent view that like lets me know if that's actually the case but definitely when it comes to crunching i think there's a fair number of people out there in the industry that like get their things done later rather than sooner and like it is what it is okay so um you know you've talked a bit about unionization and like what that path forward might look like in some of the difficulties um, I'm wondering if there are things that you think that consumers can do. So uh, I guess one the, the first thing that comes to my mind is like boycotting. Uh, if if the people who purchased the game made a, deci- a collective decision that they would not buy any games that involve where the studios crunched, then uh, developers would, you know, almost immediately stop crunching. They, or at least they would find a way to, you know, conceal the fact that they're crunching or something like that because they would really feel it in their pocket. I don't see that actually happening. I don't think that we can get enough people um, rallying around that. Uh, gamers have a lot of gamers have demonstrated that they don't value the lives of developers, um, you know, anyway, um, or they don't think about about like you know how the sausage is made but theoretically it seems like boycotting could be something that that could work you know it'd be that unions are the collective action of uh the workers and the the boycott would be collective action of the consumers do you have any other like ideas of what consumers can do that might make the situation a little bit more tolerable or do you kind of feel like they're powerless or what what are your thoughts on that yeah that's a tough one isn't it because i think that question can extend to like so many more things outside of just video games, right? Like let's let's take like Nike or any of these other like clothing brands that get outed for using sweatshops in Indonesia or wherever else. Like what can people do to or even Apple, right? I think Apple got into some hot water because they were using some like Foxconn shit to put their stuff together, but like what can we do to stop them? Do we all stop buying iPhones? Like do we all stop buying those shoes? And like you said, like nobody really, not nobody, but like we can't get, we can't get people as a whole to like line up with that. So I would, I would say like, what's the next, what's the next step? Like maybe advocacy from the consumer side. Like if, if, uh, if we saw articles or maybe interviews with, I don't know if that even matters though. Um, now that I think about it, but what I was going to say is like, maybe getting a consumer perspective to add into the conversation uh like you know somebody who play somebody who plays games or somebody who like yeah somebody who plays and buys games like on the regular sharing their opinions via like polygon articles and stuff like that like hey i like i play games and you know i don't think these guys sh- should be crunching this is fun blah 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 like maybe that could raise awareness to it but oh you mean like this podcast potentially oh <laughs> but uh i don't think stopping i don't think you can rely on people to stop buying the games so that's like a no-go i i don't think people like emailing or tweeting at the ceos is going to change things i think probably what might be the most like realistic and or like 
ground gathering scenario would be if like developers and consumers could have a little more transparency and more of an open dialogue uh which then could lead to lawmakers learning more because at at the overall level our lawmakers need to learn more about about current modern day like technology and society because they are now undeniably interwoven and they cannot be undone um so having that open dialogue could help lead to what we have today with you and i like revealing things learning new things and most importantly like growing to new understandings so as consumers i think what we can do to help is like get to know the process get to know the 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 not every individual developer get to know like who developers are get to know like what type of impact this stuff has on them and then like at its final conclusion like try to get the law body to help bring regulation to like this and that's probably a scary word to a lot of people like regulation but simply like i'm like yeah just trying to advocate for making things i guess like more fair regula regulations does not mean a bad thing always it simply means to regulate and if that means to you know make sure people are regulating their work hours fairly then that sounds good to me what you just said is uh like gave me a new thought and so I think that this is a great time to segue to change of heart. Okay, it's like weird for me to have to like say what I learned because this entire like hour and a half <laughs> is like a college class on game like on the game dev culture. And no joke, I like I can't tell you how much richer this conversation was than like what I imagined. It like really surpassed like my expectations by by a long shot. Uh, but the thing that you know, I'm trying to like piggyback on the last thing that you were saying about regulation, and I never thought about like government intervention mm -hmm. uh, with with game de development. But perhaps you know, because the the entire time you were speaking, and like you know, you're kind of ending on this optimistic note, and I just like have this voice in my head that's like, money talks, money talks, money talks. There's no way that any of this is going to happen without money. So perhaps instead of regulating them, like like work hours or something like that, like there are already labor laws, right? Like you have to have a lunch break after whatever, right? But one of the things that they might be able to do is like give like tax break incentives for studios that don't crunch, um, and that's like a way that the you know developer i guess can make the decision since that's you know a f like a financial it'd be a financial incentive to you know for them to treat their employees better and perhaps what they could do instead is like employ more employees but make sure that none of them are crunching and you know that could th maybe offset the you know some of like the time or the money mm -hmm. um that they would be losing otherwise so i think that's actually a really like great and at the very least unique idea like i've never heard that suggested like tax breaks for basically better treatment of your workers and i almost feel like that could be something that like would be great to be applied to like a lot of different business facets of our society um so i think that's an awesome idea ryan unfortunately the cynical part of me 
thinks of that and wonders like just how many ways these businesses can find loopholes to get through that right like the whole like yeah. work the whole like work eight hours uh but you need a break like in between uh that's that gets loopholed during crunch time or during overtime because basically it just says hey when you hit eight hours like take another 30 minute break and then just continue working right yeah so uh well the two things i i say there and i think i think that's a cool idea so I will I so like my my change of heart honestly is like the the thing I brought up about the the consumers like having this open dialogue like th that to me is like more of a revelation like I wasn't against having the dialogue but yeah. I hadn't actually like really thought about that I always thought I always think that like a little more transparency within the games industry like in both directions would be would be good mm -hmm. but at the same time like obviously telling people every little detail is bad just as a developer it's bad you you're way better off giving someone the final version of your game and them never knowing it existed than telling them what you think the first version of the game is going to be and then giving them an entirely different game by the final version because you iterated so much on that concept that it's like nowhere near the same. And that's that's that kind of like trickles into like my various problems with the hype machine. But I think our changes of heart kind of like line up uh, really well here. And hopefully our listeners come up with unique ideas of their own that help us like progress this conversation. And maybe they even take the steps to they themselves do some of the things that we mentioned, like maybe reaching out to developers to like learn more about the things they've worked on or the or how things were when they worked on it. Um, maybe even eventually getting games media to cover that type of stuff more so than just what's going to come out and how does it play slightly differently from the 500 other first person shooter action adventure third person platformers out there so yeah we're holding our hopes in you listener this is your time to shine um if you've enjoyed this episode and you want to converse more about games try reaching out to a developer in a very nice way or have a conversation about this episode with other people on our subreddit because that's the cool place to do it oh yeah i dig it thanks for joining me los this was fun yeah this was really cool it was great talking with you ryan i'm glad i could reveal so much me too this was uh very informative and i'm excited to go play some games now uh, perhaps some that were crunched <laughs> do you know if deep do you know if deep rock galactic was crunched i have heard nothing about crunch on that thank you for listening to deep in the deep head subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and share us with your friends for updates and discussion follow us on reddit at r slash deep in the deep pad facebook at deep deep pad and subscribe to deep in the deep pad on youtube don't forget to hit the bell and if you want to ask us questions or you had a chance to share your own deep pad delight on the show Email us at askdeepinthedeepad at gmail.com. Be sure to put question or delight in the subject line. Big thanks to 8-Bit Jazz and Kevin McLeod for supplying the music for the show. 